0: This is probably not going to be your typical Easter sermon, but it is a sermon and a message that I feel God has uh, laid on my heart in the direction He wants us to go this morning. I want to simply answer the question today, what happens when you die? I was trying to keep up with the songs. I believe every song we have sung this morning has mentioned death or dying, and that is certainly appropriate What happens when you die? That is a very relevant question given the fact that 60 million people die every year on our planet. That's 164,000 people per day. Let that sink in. Let that give you some context as to what's going on in our world right now. In the United States, about 3 million people die every year. And just this past flu season, which is still ongoing, it's winding down, but just the normal flu, they estimate thirty to 50,000 in the United States have died from flu. Did you know that 3,200 people die every day on our roadways from auto accidents? Now, I'm sure that number has decreased recently, but that would be the norm. On Texas roads, 3,700 people die every year. The most risky thing any of us ever do is driving. Kerr County, closer to home, uh, I heard years ago from one of the funeral home directors that uh, they can pretty much count on about 800 deaths per year in Kerr County. That's more than two per day. What happens when you die? It's a relevant question given Ecclesiastes 3 1 and 2 says there is an appointed time for everything, there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die. And Romans 6:23 says the wages of sin is death, which is not a problem except for Romans 3:23 that says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then there's Hebrews 9:27 that says it is appointed for men to die once. And after this comes judgment. So without a doubt, death is unavoidable and inevitable. No amount of money, no amount of medical technology, and no vaccine will ever keep you from this appointment. Nothing in this world can keep you alive. You can clone yourself. It will die. <laughs> Someone as well said, We have an expiration date stamped on our heel. It's invisible. Only God knows it, but it's there. As the great theologian the Sir, uh, Sir Charles Barkley said... Father time is undefeated. Trying to ignore death is like trying to ignore COVID-19. It simply cannot be done. Why is there death? Well, Romans 5.12 gives us the answer. It says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 5.12. You see, sin is the original worldwide pandemic. Ground zero was the Garden of Eden. The first two cases were Adam and Eve. They were not practicing social distancing. And the the infection rate is 100%. And the death rate is 100%. But what I want to answer today is what happens when the final breath is breathed? What happens when the lights go out? Now, certainly there is no shortage of opinion on the answer to this question. I was curious about some of the other religions of the world and cults and wanted to see what they said to this question, and so I'll give you some of the answers. On the Mormon website, they prefer to be called the Church of the Latter-day Saints, it says this, each resurrected person will be assigned to one of three kingdoms of glory, comparable to the sun, moon, and stars. People will attain a level of glory based on their actions during their life on earth. That says it all, right? People will attain their level of glory based on what they did on earth. The highest degree of glory symbolized by the sun is the place where God the Father and Jesus Christ live. This state of being is sometimes referred to as exaltation. For members of the church, the Mormon church, hell, and they put that in in quotes does not necessarily mean a place of punishment. It can refer to two different places. One, it's a spirit prison, the temporary waiting place for people who disobeyed God's commandments in life. Wait, isn't that everybody? (laughs) Or who died without knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People in this spirit prison, in this temporary place, this is after death now, people in the spirit prison, according to Mormonism, have the opportunity to repent and accept or reject the gospel. They have a second chance. Maybe there's a third, fourth, and fifth. I don't know. Depending on their choices, most people will eventually receive one of the degrees of glory. That's why some have said Mormons don't really have a concept of hell because, I mean, who's actually going to stay there given a second chance, right? And so you will attain to this uh, level of glory. Jehovah's Witness on jw.org says this, death is the opposite of life. So when someone dies, his feelings and his memories do not keep on living somewhere else. When we die, we can't see, we can't hear, and we can't think anymore. Our body returns to dust, to a soul sleep, and we await a resurrection. In Islam, so confused, they say a person dies and either goes to heaven or hell or an intermediary state or soul sleep until a great resurrection. Of course, it's left up to the arbitrary will of Allah in the practice of Islam. In Roman Catholicism, you die and you either go immediately to hell or to purgatory or straight to heaven, though I'm not sure They would say anybody actually does that. It all depends on how your sin graded out in this life. Here's from the Roman Catholic Church Catechism. Quote, All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified. They are indeed assured of their eternal salvation, but after death they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. Buddhists believe that death is a natural part of the life cycle, the circle of life. It leads to rebirth or reincarnation. Hindus also accept reincarnation. That after death, the soul passes into a new body and lives a new life. And that quality of that new body and new life depends on how the person lived their previous life. And this is where karma comes in. But what does the Bible actually teach? What is the truth in the midst of all of this error, all of these doctrines of demons, all of these lies that are uh, being used of Satan to deceive people right into the very place they're trying to avoid? What is the truth? The truth is this. At death, every person, their soul and spirit of every person immediately separates from their body. I'm not talking about a death that could be medically temporary in the sense that someone is brought back on the table. I'm talking about a true death where the soul spirit, the intangible part of our being, leaves our body. And for many people, for many people, the Bible says, they will go straight to hell. They will go straight to a place of everlasting punishment. Jesus spoke of this place often in the New Testament in the Gospels. It's referred to as Gehenna uh, or the Valley of Hinnom. And this was a valley south of Jerusalem that was actually a a trash dump. It was a burning trash dump and the flames never went out and the trash uh, continued to accumulate there in Gehenna. This place that we refer to as hell then is a place of torment that makes the worst suffering you've ever had in your life feel like your best day ever. When a person goes to hell, they will not go there to party with their friends. The Bible calls it outer darkness and a place of the gnashing of teeth. It's a place where people are raging against God. I would also say hell is a place of eternal self-loathing. Self-loathing for refusing to surrender to Christ and refusing to accept His grace and trampling upon His blood in this life. Hell is a prison of unending punishment then for every sin committed but never forgiven. Hell makes the worst prison on this earth look like a day spa in comparison. No friends will be there to come alongside and to share in your troubles. There will be no one there to cry to, to get drunk with, or to sleep with. There's no fishing. There's no hunting. There's no eating. There's no diversion of any kind. There are no beautiful sunsets. No sea breezes and no birds singing. In hell there is no rest. There is no freedom from pain. There is not one moment of relief. There is ingress but no egress. There is one way in and no way out. And in hell the memory of wasted opportunities on this life will gnaw away at your conscience like a worm that never dies. In hell, hell is not used as a cuss word. There is no mocking of hell in hell. What is there is the shock of who is there. And that shock is both and will be overwhelming and also simultaneously enraging. Why? Because good people are in hell. Moral people are in hell. There will be priests and pastors, missionaries and philanthropists. There will be sweet grandmothers and doting fathers, heroic soldiers and patriotic veterans. There will be preachers, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, and many, many church members. There will be some of our founding fathers, esteemed presidents, and world changers. Hell will be the final abode of great inventors, authors, astronauts, brilliant scientists, and doctors. There will be devoted nurses and caring daycare workers. And this place is so horrific... It is so terrible to even conceive that it was actually made for the devil and his demons. Hell is so terrible that many Christians want it to disappear from the pages of Scripture. Or at least terminate at some point in eternity future. And the reality is, according to the Jesus in Matthew 7, is that masses of humanity Will find this wide gate and this broad road that leads to destruction. In fact, we would say the majority are on this broad road. ACDC saying about being on it. They seem to be boasting that they were on the highway to hell. Hank Williams Jr. saying he was whiskey bent and hell bound. And the thing about hell is there's nothing difficult or special, or extra that you need to do to get on the highway to hell. It's actually very easy. If you've sinned once, you've earned your ticket to hell. That's all it takes. All it takes is one knowing, willful sin against God. If you had sex before marriage, you earned hell. If you've ever gotten drunk, hell. If you've stolen, lied, lusted, or hated you've earned hell. If you've cussed your parents under your breath, hell. If you do not love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, hell. If you fail to love your neighbor as yourself, hell is the outcome. It is a real place, place of torment, place of punishment, a place where sin never ends and thus the punishment never ends. And some of you listening to me right now and watching this right now are on that highway. Some of you think you're Christians and you're not. Some of you are playing a game called churchianity, not the game, not the reality, excuse me, of turning from your sins and following Christ. Hell is a real place and needs to be avoided at all costs. The good news this morning, though, is that some people, not most... But some people and in fact many multitudes will avoid this place we call hell and they will fly straight to heaven when they die and they will join the four living creatures and the 24 elders and innumerable saints and angels around the throne of God worshiping God and the Lamb upon His throne. There will be no delay from their earthly exit to their heavenly entrance. They will go to a place of perfect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They'll go to a place where there is no sin, no guilt, and no death. Where they can't be tempted, tricked, or trapped. They can't be schemed or scammed. They will go to a place where nothing can harm them in any way. There is no pain there and no loss there, and so there are no tears there. No struggle with the flesh. The flesh is left behind. There is no lack of any good thing for, them who, for those who love God. Everyone in heaven is morally whole and thoroughly virtuous. Everyone thinks and does as they should 24-7. Every soul in heaven is lovely, lovable, and likable. No one ever says mean or stupid things in heaven. Every tongue is properly bridled. There is no gossip, slander, backstabbing, or backbiting. And there is no devil. His access is revoked. The dictionary of heaven only has words that show kindness, that promote edification, and bring praise to God. Every word spoken in heaven comes from a motive of love. There will be no noisy gongs or clanging cymbals. In heaven, there is no need for food, no need for sleep, no need for makeup, diets, exercise, or a leave. Everyone can sing like the angels, run like the wind, think like a genius, feel like a poet, and love without caution or reserve. There is no rape, no murder, and no war in heaven. The crime rate is zero. There will be no child abuse, no domestic violence, no mental health problems. There will be no slavery, no racism, bigotry, or prejudice. Praise the Lord. No one there will take advantage of another image bearer of God based on their age or their gender or their skin color or their ethnicity. There will be no personal favoritism in heaven. Everyone is your favorite. Everyone is your BFF. There will be no cigarettes, pot, poverty, or vaping. Praise the Lord. No lottery tickets, casinos, or debt. No sex trafficking. No illegal immigration. No divorce and no viruses. And there will be no white supremacy. Everyone is completely free to do whatever they want. And whatever they want is what God wants. There will be no marriage problems in heaven because there will be no marriage There'll be no children to discipline, and there'll be no parents to obey. There'll be no police, doctors, dentists, eyeglasses, or walkers. There'll be no one in diapers, or nursing homes, or both. There'll be no lawyers with their lawsuits, no accountants with their tax returns, and no politicians with their promises. There'll be no banal uh, sitcoms, no stupid talk shows, no blasphemous gay pride parades. And there will be no suspicion, no mistrust, and no broken hearts. Everyone is whole. Everyone is healthy. There will be no wondering in heaven if someone loves me or even likes me. And of course, in heaven, only Jesus, as far as human beings go, only Jesus deserves to be there. And so there will be no boasting in heaven except in the Lord. It's a short interview. How did you get in here? I'm only here by the grace of God. Yeah, me too. Heaven is all glorious, beautiful, satisfying, and it's greater than anything we can ever imagine. Will I dance for you, Jesus, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah or be able to speak at all? No boredom in heaven. This ought to relieve some of you because in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forever. Joy and pleasure does not sound like boredom to me. In heaven, every moment is fresh. Every experience is more fulfilling than the one before it. Just when you think it can get no better, it gets better. Each moment of heaven brings us a deeper knowledge of the infinite, eternal, triune God. Deeper joy in Jesus. Deeper gratitude for his grace. And perhaps even a greater capacity to love God and love one another. There is no faith in heaven, only sight. There is no hope in heaven, only fulfillment. And some people, when they die, they go straight to heaven. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. They go straight to heaven because for the Christian to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Some go straight to heaven and they never, ever leave God's presence. God's manifest full presence to bless To smile and to show His favor to them without limits. That's it. There's either eternal life or eternal death. There's either eternal joy and glory or eternal damnation and misery. There is no third option. There is no holding tank. There is no second chance. This third heaven, this paradise of God, is all brought to you courtesy of a bloody cross and an empty tomb. Brought to you courtesy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He lives, the door to heaven is thrown wide open. Charles Wesley wrote it. Open is the door to paradise. It's there for us to walk through. So the question remains, how to get there? How to get to heaven? If you want off of the highway to hell and you want on the path to heaven, listen to me very carefully. You must enter through the narrow gate of repentance from all known sin in your life and trust in Jesus Christ alone. This is the narrow gate that leads to the narrow way that leads to life. It is narrow. There's only one Savior. It is narrow. You must repent of all known sin in your life. It is narrow. You must trust in Christ and Christ alone. As the Son of God, God in flesh, you came to this earth, lived a perfect life in your place, died in your stead, rose from the dead, put all of your eggs in one basket, put all of your money in one investment, Jesus Christ. He is the only way. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved in the name of Christ. If you want to get off the highway to hell and on the path to heaven, you must come to the narrow gate and you must enter in Jesus said, unless you repent, you all likewise perish. Unless you repent, you will perish. Unless you repent, you will perish. Jesus also said, we forget that Jesus said this, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not, what, perish, but have everlasting life. Those are the words of Jesus. That's the promise of Christ. When Paul was asked while sitting in prison suffering for Christ, when he was asked, what must I do to be saved by the Philippian jailer, Paul said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul was writing his magnum opus, when Paul was writing his masterpiece of all masterpieces, the book of Romans, as he was giving the gospel in 16 chapters, he came in Romans chapter 10, and he explained very clearly and very simply what a person must do to get off the highway to hell and on the road to heaven. It's in Romans ten nine, where Paul wrote that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be rescued, you will be delivered from the penalty of hell. And the dominion of sin and one day the very presence of sin. But you must confess with your mouth. Because what comes out the mouth is what's in the heart. You must agree with God that Jesus is Lord. You must confess with your mouth and be able and willing to say to others that Jesus is your master. That Jesus is your ruler. That Jesus has come into your life and is now king of your life. He sits on the throne of your heart. You must confess Jesus as Lord. I think this is Paul's way of saying you must repent. You must turn from all of your known sins and surrender your life to the authority of another. You must lay down your warfare against Christ and and wave the white flag and come humbly uh, through um, to Him. Confess with your mouth Jesus as your master. If He's master, that makes us slave. If He's Lord, that makes us servant. If He's ruler, that makes us His conquered, beloved servants. He says you must also believe in your heart. That's in the depth of your being, in the core of your existence, in your, uh, who you really are. And the, it's, not, it's not pretend, it's not fake. You're not you're just faking it through. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which presupposes that he died on the cross for our sins and was truly dead, buried in that tomb. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You believe in your heart that Jesus came back from the dead, that he came alive from the dead, that he literally, physically, bodily was brought back to life and came out of the tomb in a glorified, resurrected body that could never die again. He is now immortal, as we will be when we're resurrected. It is a miracle. It's inexplicable. It's unexplainable. If you believe God can create the universe, then you can believe God can raise Jesus from the dead. And you can believe God can save you and change your heart. Paul says, if you do that, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, if you do that, you will never be disappointed. To ask, if someone were to ask me, Chris, if you died today, do you know for certain you'd go straight to heaven? I would say a resounding yes. I know it with certainty. I know it with 100% certainty if the follow-up question was, well, Chris, if you did die today and you stood before God and God said, well, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And I would say, well, you shouldn't except for that man at your right hand. You shouldn't except for those scars that he bore in my place. He took my penalty. My righteousness is your son, the Lord Jesus. He's the reason you should let me into heaven, God. I have trusted in Him. I have taken you at your word. Your word says repent and believe on Christ and you will be saved. Well, I've repented and I've believed in Christ and your word says that I'm saved so I'm holding you to your word. Why should you let me into heaven? Because you promised to let me into heaven based on the person and work of Christ and my response to Him. And Lord, as you've taught me in your word, that response itself was even by your grace. And so why should you let me into heaven? Because of your grace. Because of your favor, because of your love, because of your mercy. Because you are a good God who forgave this sinner when he asked. And you gave him the gift of eternal life. And you don't take back your gifts. And you don't say, here's eternal life. Oh, just kidding. No, you're a God who is true to your word. And we can stand on your promises. That's why you should let me into heaven. I can't tell you if you will die from COVID-19. The odds are you probably won't. The odds are really, really high that you probably will never get it and never get close to dying from it. I can't tell you if you're going to die from COVID-19, but I can tell you you will die. And so I beg you today, I plead with you today to hate all of your sins. Hate all of them and trust the crucified and risen Christ for forgiveness and eternal life. I plead with you to stop playing the game. Stop trying to trick your parents. Stop trying to fool your spouse. Come to Christ. Come to Christ in full repentance and faith. And turn from every known sin in your life. This is something that you will never regret. But if you fail to do so, you will regret it for eternity. Father in heaven, I plead with you now. I plead with you now, Lord, that you would open the eyes of the blind and give life to the dead, that you would unplug deaf ears and change hearts through this message. Lord, on this Easter 2020, we ask that you would... Come by your transforming power of your spirit. The gospel that has been preached would be believed. For the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. We ask that you would save Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, through this message. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.